Welcome to the Rosie on the House Arizona Hour, driven by Sanderson Ford. Your weekend wake-up tradition for the last 30 years. It's Rosie on the House. On a beautiful Arizona Saturday morning. You are tuned in to Rosie on the House. Your Saturday morning tradition for 30 years. But that 30 years doesn't sound so impressive when you get your old farmer's almanac that they send you and they send you the old farmer's almanac they published 100 years ago along with the old farmer's almanac they published 200 years ago 200 years is actually their 227th printing annual printing you're but, always fascinated by those aren't you well you know what i like is to look back and see what they were writing about 200 years ago what were they writing about? So what is the purpose of the Farmer's Almanac? It is originally a pamphlet to help agriculture predict weathers and seasons and crops and rotations. And uh, there's a lot of talk around planting and following the phases of the moon. It helps your germination, and so they would use these guidelines to uh, know when when they're going to to schedule their their planting. And growing up, I was always under the impression smut was a very bad word. I mean, even the word itself was almost offensive. It was so derogatory. But do you know what smut really is? No idea. It's a small flake of soot, a fungal disease for grains, which eats and part of the ear and changes the grain to a black powder. So it is a bad word. <laughs> it, it is. But it's it didn't apply to what it I, <laughs> what you used I, it for. <laughs> it's a bad word if you don't have a cure for it. Yeah. <laughs> and in 19 uh, in 1819, 200 years ago, they were writing about the problem of smutty wheat. Smutty wheat. Smutty wheat and how to remedy it. And you read through this, and it's a series. I mean, the, the time that they spent washing their wheat with water to get rid of the smut was must have taken months to do this. And it talks about the importance of it because at that time, you go a couple pages further in the pamphlet, and it talks about just how critical wheat is because that's where they get their bread, the most necessary article of our food. Hmm. And could I guess smut could make you sick if you didn't get it off the wheat mm -hmm. and ruin, your, well, ruin, ruin you, your crop altogether. You couldn't even make a bread with it. It just turns the— Mushed it out yeah, or something? Yeah, it, it turns— it renders the wheat useless. And back, back then, they wouldn't have a recall for wheat thins. Yeah, it'd be, <laughs> no. too, it'd be too late. To, <laughs> and um, so can we, do we, did we cure smut? 
I don't know. Uh, have you have you ever heard the word smut referred to wheat though in no. your entire life? No. I even asked Stan, our uh, I won't say the old guy, but he's our <laughs> he's our old guy. Whoa! Dinosaur by Rosie on the house <laughs> remodel standards. <laughs> the, Gary's the old, like, careful! I, I office uh, next to him. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I went to the most senior personnel on staff, going back, thinking maybe, you know, is, is it just me or? And he's like, smuts a, and and he's very knowledgeable on things like that. If if somebody, yeah, he's master known, gardener level. It uh-huh. would have been him, but. So for a long time, smut has never been associated with wheat in our modern culture, and so it obviously uh, has been a is not near the factor it was. That'll be a question for Julie Murphy when she comes in. All right, fast forward. A hundred years. Nineteen nineteen. <laughs> They're writing about the shortage of sugar. Hmm. What was going on? Oh, depression. Well, getting ready to anyway. 1919. Not only has the supply of sugar in some parts of the United States been short, but there has been an actual shortage of more than 2 million tons. All right, a ton's 2,000 pounds. That's a 2 lot. million tons annually in the world since the war has begun. And the shortage is likely to continue primarily because of the destruction of large number of sugar mills and devastation of a considerable area of sugar production lands in Europe. That's an overwhelming number, amount. You know, it, it's funny because it takes you back to a different time, but aren't you glad you don't have to live in a world where you're worried about sugar because of a war? <laughs> you need it to stay energetic, I would think. Natural sugar, at least. <laughs> Prior to the war, practically all the belligerent countries in the with the exception of the United Kingdom and England, ex- or United Kingdom and Italy, exported sugar. The total amount being upwards of three thousand three million tons. War, however, has changed the sugar production map, and at the same time has shifted channels of trade. In 1918, the estimated it is estimated that allies must import a minimum of 1.2 million tons of sugar. And it concludes that therefore, and. Uh, this is the duty of the United States to, to supply the allies with sugar, and this can be accomplished by only by the most careful saving of sugar in every home throughout the United States. I do remember them talking about rationing. Wow. For the good of the whole world, we had to ration our sugar. That's a different kind of rationing because World War II was uh, rubber, newspaper, or something, you know, something along that line. But that's the first I've heard of World War I rationing sugar. <laughs> So you can track the history of the world through gardening, too. Who knew? Who knew? Yeah. Well, they don't have nearly as uh, the, the editorial in today's Farmer's Almanac isn't nearly the same, uh, which is kind of a bummer because I, I enjoy those. But there are still plenty of interesting stories. The weather predictions for the desert southwest, uh, with the exception of March, April, May, and June, they all expect it to be uh, three to four degrees higher than normal. Mm. But the rest of the year, they uh, estimate it to be uh, like August or July will be two degrees below normal. This is for 2019 mm-hmm. coming up. August will be two. September will be three degrees below normal. Looking forward to that. What do you think the average temperature in July is? This one surprised me. 105. Day and night, average temperature. Oh, oh wait a minute. Um, 100? 85. Oh, wow. 
feels yeah. <laughs> Phoenix might be an exception. Yes. The desert southwest includes Vegas, Phoenix, Tucson, Albuquerque, and El Paso. Mm. Yeah, we it got the heat island effect too. And mm. Anywhere from the uh, from south of okay. the rim. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you know that you only need three inches of ice to be able to walk on it? Is that not amazing? A liquid. Say it again. Can turn to be something structural. Three inches of ice is the depth you would need for a single person to walk on foot. Hmm. And at 36 inches, that's three feet of ice, it will support 110 tons. That's over 200,000 pounds. So we're talking about what places other like liquid? Minnesota. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. I'm, I'm glad I don't have. I live in a place I don't have to know this, <laughs> or I wouldn't know this. But I mean, just just think about how amazing is water. Is there any other liquid that just naturally is available out there? That's you, you can drink it, you can melt it, you can freeze it, you can harden it. All the different comes out of the sky forms that <laughs> of water. They've got an interesting story in here. Gary's a kind of a Sports nut, he might know this one. He, he's busy getting our guest on the line. Getting our guest on the line. For Mets and baseball, does the 1969 Mets season spark any interest to you? Not me, you know that. <laughs> I don't know a lot about baseball, but I've, I, the names, the pitchers, Tom Seaver, Jerry Koosman, Gary Gentry, any of those names ring a bell? Seaver does for sure. He's a, I want to say he's a Hall of Famer too. The other two, not, not quite sure. And why are they in the Farmer's Almanac? Yeah. Well, it was about the 1969 Mets season. So it was an anniversary for because uh, this is the 1919 Farmanac. So it's the, what would that be, 50 years anniversary? 40 years. 50. That'd be 50. Holy smokes. Uh, talking about it's the storybook come from behind. Nobody expected it. Uh, no, you know, 50 to 1 chance in a million that they were ever going to win the the World Series, or whatever it is in baseball. Is it the World Series? The pennant? Mm-hmm. So, among those other pitchers was a young flamethrower from Texas named Nolan Ryan. I never knew he was anything but a Texas Ranger. I didn't know he started out at the Mets. So, fun stories. The most interesting one that I found, have you ever heard of a gentleman by the name of John Paul Stapp, S-T-A-P-P? You have him to thank for seatbelts. Interesting. And it was indirectly, he was really trying to prove that you could build an ejection seat in an airplane and it wouldn't kill the pilot. At the time, it was thought that anything over a G-force of 18 would break the, the the human body. You know, your bones would shatter, your, you would just collapse. Anything over a G-force of 18. And so he would strap himself 
onto these rail cars. <laughs> Those pictures are really oh good, Romy. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, you know what I'm most impressed with? They had a camera in the 40s that could take pictures because this time frame of these six shots is less than six seconds. Wow. So on December 10th, 1954, he mounted a rocket sled named Sonic Wind and in five seconds accelerated from zero to three hundred to 632 miles per hour. Five seconds. You're going over 600 miles an hour. That's faster than a 45 caliber bullet. And with a series of water breaks, decelerated him back to one point back to zero in 1.4 seconds, delivering a 46.2 G-force. No pressure suit, no nothing, just the human body. Sounds like a good case for whiplash. Yeah. <laughs> it set uh, the land speed record, f- and <laughs> his eyes filled with blood, and he experienced pain that compared to having teeth extracted without anesthesia, yet he insisted on walking away from the sled. He was able to stagger a few steps with assistance before accepting a stretcher ride. Blind at first, he was able to see shapes after four hours and could identify friends and colleagues the next day. Bruises, cracked ribs, broken wrists, bleeding blisters caused by high-speed wind and sand abrasion, concussions, retinal, (laughs) were just some of the bruises he received. But he proved his point. The Rosie on the House Arizona Hour, driven by Sanderson Ford. It's our wide open road. The Rosie on the House Arizona Hour with Sanderson Ford. Hey, Roman. You know, I always see that on your desk. Is that a subscription? That'd be a great Christmas gift. Kind of. This farmer's I, I guess if there was one complaint I had is how they deliver their... I ordered my uh, first one, I guess it's been four or five years ago. Well, they send it to you now without you asking for it with a bill. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so you either pay the bill... Or you return it, and you pay for the shipping to return it. Ah. So you, you just got to know that going ahead of time. And it's it's usually around $45. They send you a calendar, this book, the book from 100 years ago, the book from 200 years ago. And on the front, from 1819 to 1919, the price only went up two and a half cents. From wow. 12.5 cents, which... I forgot they used to have half a cent for 12.5 cents in 1819 to 15 cents in 1919. And now, 100 years, Jeff, 15.99. It went up. Uh, so for that first 100 years, the average annual increase was 0.025 cents. I guess it was money back in those days. 15. Point eight cents is the average coming uh, for the for the hundred years after. Now, this is hard co- cover. It's got color. It's a lot more pages, and there's a lot of other things that went through it. But 
Man, talk about price inflation. <laughs> well, getting out on the road this weekend, we've got our Travel Arizona uh, staycation. You can go to rosieonthehouse.com and register to win there. When you go, you just click on the staycation tab, and we draw a winner. We draw for the following month coming up, and our winner will be traveling to Jerome, the very interesting town of Jerome, Arizona. And we've got the vice mayor that's joining us on the air today, and he has a very interesting story. He came to visit his brother uh, in the 70s. And came back in 1979 and has never left hmm. the town of Jerome that to this day is less than 500 people, according to the 2017 census. Vice Mayor Jay, what, what keeps you in a town of less than 500 people for four decades? Well, good morning, first of all. Um, you know, what keeps me there is the quality of life. Um, you can meet people from anywhere in the world because they come and visit us in Jerome and, um, the views, um, everything. There's just the, the charm about Jerome and, and, and I love history. I happen to work for the Jerome Historical Society as the general manager. And, uh, it's just, it, it's just, I'm blessed to actually be able to live in Jerome. How would does somebody get to Jerome if they're listening to the broadcast? They're not new to this. They're new to the state. They've never been there. Describe the the geographical location of this very interesting place. The geographical location from the Phoenix metropolitan area. You go up I seventeen uh, to Camp Verde. At Camp Verde, you hop off and go on to two sixty Highway two sixty. Um, at the end of Highway 260, um, you get to the uh, connection of 89A, which brings you into Cottonwood. And then from Cottonwood, you ha- head south on 89A, and it takes you through the Verde Valley, through Cottonwood, up the hill, and uh, into the beautiful town of Jerome. And we'll continue talking with Mayor, Vice Mayor Jay Kinsella right after this about the originally mining town of Jerome. Tuned up and rolling. It's the Rosie on the House Arizona Hour, driven by Sanderson Ford. And we're joined this segment by Vice Mayor Jay Kinsella. Good morning. He's at hours recently awarded by the state, uh, recognized for over 16 years of public service uh, as both mayor and vice mayor uh, over the course of the year of Jerome, Arizona. Really a, a historic treasure. It went from a mining town to a ghost town to probably, I would have to say, one of the most unique towns that we have in the state. And it's really a, well, I, I'll, let, I'll let somebody who's lived there 40 years tell you a little bit more about it. What's well, uh, good morning again. The uh, yeah, Jerome has uh, just a wealth of history, and you know I can do what I can to explain it real quick. Like it's you know established in 1876 as a mining community, uh, tent city, and from there, unfortunately, the tent city burned. Um, and uh, in 1899, uh, it uh, the downtown area burned again uh, when it was a wood city, and now if you come to Jerome. 
the main business district and everything is all concrete or brick or rock foundations and uh, um, walls and things like that because in 1899 it became a actually an incorporated town um, with the mayor and council and things like that and they didn't want their uh, their assets to burn again so uh, you had to build the bars and 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 restaurants and and the uh, lodging areas all a lot of brick or the non-burnable type items and uh, uh, Jerome a lot of people don't know but Jerome was the largest producer of copper in the world from the late 1800s to about 1917. Um, Jerome encompasses about one square mile underneath that one square mile is about 156 miles of um, documented tunnels and shafts um, can you tour town, those? Uh, one one time was uh, biding to be the state capital or the territorial capital, and they actually took Prescott over Jerome. So, um, and like you had said, uh, uh, we were a burnt, uh, booming mining town um, up until about the 1950s. 1950s uh, coincides with the end of the Korean War. Um, there wasn't the demand for copper anymore, um, and at the time, Phelps Dodge um, um, had uh, other operations in Arizona, so they basically shut down the town. And uh, uh, who I'm employed by, the Jerome Historical Society, actually got established in 1953 um, because a mining company was going to come through and level the town. And uh, um, the original band of um, board members that established the um, the Jerome Historical Society, as a recognized Arizona non-for-profit organization, um, actually saved the town. Um, they slowly acquired uh, different properties on Main Street. Um, at one time, um, we owned about 18 of the buildings on Main Street. Now we're down to about 11. Um, all the parking that you see in Jerome and, and uh, the parks and all that stuff were all owned by the his, uh, Historical Society. And as the interest in Jerome grew, um, which was the board's vision um, of the Historical Society, when they began acquiring the land in, in 53 and the buildings and things, their, their, their thought was at some time possibly somebody's going to want to come to Jerome for the history. And uh, they'd be pleasantly surprised because last year we had 1.45 million people visit a town of wow. 444 residents, um, which is pretty significant. Uh, we're the third largest tourism draw um, in northern Arizona. Northern Arizona Jay, goes to Grand Canyon first, which is... Jay, so, yeah. The, then, um, okay. Jay, this is Gary, uh, the producer. I, I'll say this about right. Jerome. The first time I went there, I, I was sold. Um, I mean, when you're coming down 89A or going up the hill, you see the town and people yeah. go, wow, every friend that has come through here, I bring them to Jerome. When they come back, what's the first thing they want to see? Grand Canyon? No, they want to go back to Jerome. They love that place. And the history is yeah, amazing. You know, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's the history. It's the charm. It's the quaintness. You know, we don't have any um, 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 franchises or anything in Jerome. Uh, but we have great coffee shops, and recently in the last five years, um, wine tasting. Um, there were some uh, people that got together and uh, started acquiring some land in the Verde Valley and uh, started growing grapes and working with Cochise County, uh, making a blend of Verde Valley grapes along with Cochise County grapes. And so now we have wine tasting um, 
And so that brings a different clientele into town and, and things like that. And I can vouch for the wine, um, too. It's excellent. Caduceus and uh, yes. um, trying to think of the other one. Jerome Winery, I believe it is. Yeah, Jerome okay. Winery. Uh, the other one is uh, Caduceus uh, Wine Cellars, um, Passion Wine Cellars, and now Venezona uh, uh, Wines, which is uh, um, also wine tasting, but they kind of uh, – um, have varieties instead of just coming from uh, one vineyard. They kind of um, have various different vineyards that they they actually uh, um, represent and things. So, and of course, you can't go to Jerome without checking out the Grand Hotel. It was actually the first of uh, two places that we stayed on our honeymoon, and it's uh-huh. got the premier view of the entire Verde Valley. And I, I would never go to that hotel and not get an eastern facing room with with the balcony to just sit there and and watch the valley come alive as the sun comes up yeah it's it, it it's beautiful and it, you know the 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 building itself the history on that was it was the last of the hospitals out of uh the four um hospitals that were in jerome during the heyday and uh, i remember moving to jerome and it sat empty um you know the thing was is i remember back in the late 70s and early 80s um, if you're with a fraternity or going to NAU, it was almost like a dare on the weekend to hang out um, and spend the weekend in the in the Jerome um, Hospital and things like that. So, and then over a period of time, um, um, my family got involved with it um, and brought it back to life, and um, it's the Jerome Grand Hotel, um, and it also has the Asylum Restaurant, which is a you know, great restaurant to eat at too. And there's a property that recently went for sale. It was originally built as barracks for the miners, uh, but it's it's has since turned into quite a premier property. Yes, uh, what you're referring to is the uh, um, historically it's uh, named the Little Daisy Hotel, and the Little Daisy was part of the mining operation um, on the lower half of Jerome. Um, uh, what you're referring to is a, a building that sat empty for many, many years, a uh, concrete structure. Um, a family came in, um, and a husband and wife came in and uh, refurbished the building. Um, if you come to Jerome, it's a building that looks like it's unfinished with uh, no roof on it and uh, arches and a couple of Arizona um, cypress out in front. Um, recently, um, it's been put on the market, and... Uh, I actually saw a lot of the construction being done and through the phases and and uh, upon its completion, and it's it's absolutely beautiful. It is a uh, um, it, 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 uh, the windows and uh, the attention to detail historically. Um, I do believe it has um, nine nine bedroom. Um, six bath or something um and then also the views from there are absolutely spectacular and uh you know it's a it's a, it's a great deal for what they're asking actually <laughs> if you're into the history <laughs> and do you remember what they're asking i think it was about 6.5 million yeah. oh. <laughs> wasn't for the faint of heart but it was originally the you, there was 12 and 12 you would work 12 hours you'd have 12 off can you imagine being in the mine yeah, twelve that, hours? It, it was actually, yeah. What it was is, a, um, in in historical terms, it's known as a hot cop, and uh, um, 
what happened was is before the labor laws came in, you ran a 12-hour shift, um, two shifts a day. Um, so what would happen is the miners that would wake up to go on shift, um, they would take off, go on shift. By the time the guys came up that were getting off shift, um, you actually got to hop into a warm bed um, that somebody just left. <laughs> um, and that, you know, that's why it was called the hot cot. So, um, and then the labor laws changed and it changed into um, eight hour shifts and things like that for safety reasons and, and, and that type of thing. And on y'all's calendar of, of, of events coming up, there's a, a film festival. Yes. Film festival next weekend. Um, it's going to be great. Uh, it started uh, several years ago and, uh, um, it originally started exclusively in Jerome, um, and now they've kind of broadened their spectrum, and uh, they do some showings in Jerome, also down in uh, in Cottonwood and Clarkdale, which is just kind of at the bottom of the hill. It also won an award last year for being one of the top 25 film festivals in the world. So it's like a fun yes, you know the thing is 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 uh, um, they do a really good job and. Uh, there are a lot of people that uh, just kind of, um, kind of are in the the indie film festival um, circuit. So they just kind of travel all over the Southwest and take in the different ones. And you know, a lot of it uh, with this one was the quality of, of of what they were showing, and also you know the ambiance of Jerome and the settings and things like that. Um, as far as the film festival goes, so. Um, that's yeah, cool. we were kind of happy to see that. Uh, and again, the Historical Society works with them. And, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of glad to um, have them well, come in town. For a, a small town of 500 people, y'all do a lot of hosting. I love that you have the, um, the art walk each month. So that's another reason for people to get to yep. come up. And, and uh, how many artists are in the area that's kind of known for their oh artists yes there there's a ton of artists in town um i couldn't tell you the exact numbers but you know that was basically how everything was uh, established um in jerome back in the 60s and things like that a lot of artists came into jerome um a lot of the artists that were li- residing in jerome in the in the 70s and and into the 80s and things like that were actually um being displayed on gallery row down in in scottsdale on on fifth ave so um, um, you know, that's kind of, that's the kind of uniqueness of Jerome that we have, you know, we have artists, we have, um, musicians, we have just all sorts of people that, and it's a kind of like a small little melting pot. So also in October, you have the historical society's ghost walk and the Jerome fire department, Halloween dance and vice mayor, Jake Kinsella, I keep stumbling on your name because I, it's, I, I'm reading it as Jay Kinsella, but my mind keeps trying to say Ray Kinsella as the father of a boy who just loves baseball and f- watches Field of Dreams regularly. That's Kevin Costner's character name in that movie is Ray Kinsella. Yes. And you're from We're South actually, Dakota. That's in um, Iowa. Is that a, a real family name? Uh, K- Kinsella is actually a, a, a real family name. Um you know, what you're referring to is, like you said, Field of Dreams. It's a great movie and things like that. It was actually written by a gentleman by the name of W.P. Kinsella out of Canada. Um, and our family is actually related to that family. So um, it's, uh, I, when I was 
uh, told that I should probably go see the movie Field of Dreams when it came out. It was pretty astonishing as I'm sitting there eating my popcorn and having my <laughs> Pepsi, and uh, um, all of a sudden they start talking about, you know, an imaginary family um, kind of based on um, the shirt tail uh, family members of, of my family. So um, it, it was pretty unique. Well, we appreciate you getting up and spending your Saturday morning with us here at Rosie on the House to educate and entertain our listening audience about the town of Jerome, Arizona, one of the historic treasures of our great state. The tank is full, and we're moving through the Arizona Hour with Sanderson Ford and Rosie on the House. If you build Jerome, they will come. (laughs) Hey, Annie! Annie, what was that? What was what? That voice just now. What was it? We didn't hear anything. All right. If you build Jerome, they will come. Okay, you must have heard that. (laughs) Leave it up to Gary. (laughs) I heard him back there laughing in the studio yesterday. (laughs) Well, uh, let let me add something to the conversation. I was just on the phone with Jay. When you're going, uh, driving up 89A to Jerome, and you pass the old school on the left, on the right, just before the curve, there is a cage, and inside the cage is a yellow truck. I've passed by it a gazillion times, and it's been bugging me. What's the story behind it? What is the story? What is the story? Well, he finally tells me the owner uh, lives in Jerome. It's a Dodge 52 or 53 Suburban. I guess they had a Suburban back then. And it's nicknamed the Yellow Banana. And um, uh, apparently that truck was used up until the point the brakes went out and the owner put it into that cage. (laughs) But Jay tells me it's one of the most photographed uh, subjects in Arizona. People will see it stop just to take a picture of it. And I think, I'm sure, Arizona Highways and Robert Yeah, Steve, I was thinking the same uh, thing. Know, what an oddity. The yeah. yellow banana. The yellow banana. So now I got that. Now I'm going to, I'll see after the show, I'm going to go up to Jerome now. <laughs> you know, Jerome, if you go up there, it sits on the, nestled on the side of the hill, like you talked about, the Jerome Grand Hotel. You just look out and you have these great views. It is um, all slanted. So if you're, you know, wanting flat ground, there's also Clarkdale and Cotton with yeah. just down below. <laughs> he talked about the wine tasting. I'm thinking about the mountain grade. It's on a, man, this would be entertaining at 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> trying to see everyone walk down the stairs on the side of the hill. And also, if you just want a place to hang out and then go check out all the local Arizona state parks we had. There, you know, there's six in that area. I'm going to give away six sets of state park passes this morning. If you text Jerome to 411923. And, uh, but it's Slide Rock. Dead Horse, how do you say it? Dead, Dead Horse, Horse State, State Park. Park. That's in uh, Cottonwood. Uh, Fort Verde, great historic. In Camp Verde. Mm-hmm. Jerome State Historic Park, right right there in Jerome. Red Rock, Slide Park. Uh, and then the Verde River Greenway State Natural Area, which is just an area you can get in the water and a riparian uh, area right close by. So what is Tuzi Goot then, if that's not a state park? You know, that's a good question. It wasn't listed right where I was looking. Yeah. But they, they also have one that they're working on. It's not even open. It's called Rock and River. So that would be a cool one. Very cool. Well, that is uh, – and you have six passes that you're going to give out. I'll give, I'll give away six sets. Six so sets. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you text us, well, I'll give two, two um, tickets, and it gets you an adult and a child and, a st- and parking. So between now and the end of the break, anyone mm-hmm. that texts Jerome will pick six random names 
and send them these passes. I have uh, former Mayor Phil Gordon on the phone here. He just called up. And, uh, Mayor, are you there? I am there. Okay. He has a story about Jerome he wants to let us in on. And you know what? You say former mayor. I, I'm so Mr. Uncurrent Events. I still, when someone says, who's the city Phoenix mayor, I'm like, oh, it's Phil Gordon. Ah, I'll take it. How's that? <laughs> the current mayor may not appreciate it, but I do. Hey, well, I, I, hey, I just want to let hey, everybody the best know thing, about... The I'm best sorry. thing you ever did, uh, Mayor Gordon, was your front porch program, where you were putting porch, uh, benches on front porches to encourage the community to come out and sit out together. I just, I love that. Uh, well, I, you know, I still see some of those benches when I go help some neighborhoods. So it's, yeah, it, we all work together on that. And I appreciate, you know, what you and uh, your dad and family did uh, to help promote that. Yeah. Hey, uh, you know, when we had, the, when the uh, tsunami years ago, when I was mayor in Indonesia, wiped out most of that country, uh, one of the islands, Phoenix adopted a, a small little city where it lost two-thirds of its population, mm. Mayulable. And Jerome uh, was so touched by uh, what had happened and what we were doing that every citizen at the time donated at least a dollar and sent it to us to because they were so small they didn't think they would make a difference and uh, sent it to us. And I've never forgotten. I've always talked about that. And when you were talking with the vice mayor, I just – wanted to convey that to your listeners. I know it doesn't have to do with what you were talking about, but that shows the heart and soul of that little community. It does have a big heart, big heart for hospitality and obviously for caring about others. Yeah. So, you, uh, but anyway, and I listen to your program, so I, I, I love it. We appreciate that. <laughs> you all have a great, great day, okay? Thank you. too. You. I, and what, how do I address you now? Is it Mr. Uh, Gordon? Whatever, uh, Phil, <laughs> Phil, whatever you want. You know? oh, thanks, Phil. <laughs> I've always been Phil. Take care. The uh, you would have to have a heart for people to host 1.2 million people on a town that is only populated by 451. I get grumpy when all the snowbirds come back. <laughs> I can't imagine. You can't even hardly get, you know, you can't park or anything. But yeah, thanks, Jerome, for hosting Arizona. We had a texter wanting to know when and where to go look at uh, the fall colors in Arizona. We have aspen trees. We have beautiful uh, mountain landscapes you can go to. Well, mom just found this website, flagstaffarizona.org slash fall. They have a leafometer, and it's broken down by city, and you click on the city of Flagstaff. The leafometer still says it's green, so we're not into the reds yet. Oak Creek, green. The Arboretum at Flagstaff, still green. Arizona Snowball, green. Uh, the Inner Basin, still green. So I think we'll keep an eye keep, on it. We'll let keep, you know when it gets an closer. Keep an eye on your Flagstaff leafometer.